We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to inform you that Arsenal won a football match. Please now return to the drudgery of your life. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Arsenal won a football match, and and I don't want you to think that that's cause for celebration, lest you offend uh, professional pundits. Yeah, that because that when I wake up in the morning, you know, we need a, a true north, a guiding light, a principle by which we live our lives. And I, I wake up, I give my wife a kiss on the cheek, and I say, today, I am going to live my life in a way that professional football pundits would approve of. And, and I set that as my North Star, and I follow it, and I follow it to good places. You know what? L- let me just be clear about something. We'll probably wind up reprimanding the reprimanders. We'll probably wind up talking about that, but we're not going to do it at the top of the pod. We're not going to do a segment at the top of the pod because the entire point of Jamie Carragher doing his thing and all those pundits doing their thing is that we don't talk about Arsenal's dominant footballing display against Liverpool. And that is the headline. That is the news. That Arsenal Football Club once again dominated the game and this time got the three points. And it is back on. And we are very much in a title race. And I I do wonder if now we have the moment that the fans can connect to to recapture a little bit of what people have been lamenting we don't have from last season in terms of that connection. Um, Maybe that is something... That we have. Clive and I will be doing a rewatch of this on Patreon. You can bet your ass on that. Uh, we are now doing instant reactions live, so you can catch them literally at full time. We live stream them. You can watch the video after. We also put them out as pods, so that's there. And um, yeah, so so we've got lots of stuff going on, but we're going to dive right into it. We're going to get into the the lineup and the tactics and the performance and the stuff that you're here for. Because if what you really want is just to hear that football is supposed to be a joyless trudge to the finish line, there are lots of other media outlets that will be happy to tell you that. So here to celebrate wildly and mostly analyze football, which is our remit, is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stominator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Uh, yeah, I'd propose that's the last thing we say about it, to be honest. Yeah, um, agreed. I think we've all said what we need to say, and it's wherever you stand on it, it's, it's just a really tired, boring subject by some really tired, boring outlets. So, yeah. And, and outlets, let's be honest, right, that have been lapped by the field in terms of analysis of football. 
there are places you can go. I'd like to think this pod is one of them. I know the Arscast is as well, and there are YouTube channels and all kinds of podcasts that will do better analysis of the game, that will give you a better breakdown of the decisions that were made and the key moments of the game and the performance that mattered and what it means. And because they've been lapped by the field and can't keep up in that, they keep up in the only way they can, which is harvesting clicks, and they do it with outrage. And I would say that outrage harvesting is destroying our society in general, not just football. So to Tim's point, I say we don't participate in it beyond the two minutes and 58 seconds of participating in it. I've presently done, so apologies for that. I want to start, look, on the instant reaction, we had a little section called the moment of the match, and and I like that, but I want to do the experience component of this, you guys, because I think it's a great place to start just because everyone I've heard who was at the Emirates said it it felt loud. It felt like last season's peak moments. Um, Just a, a tremendous sense of joy and togetherness that, I think permeated to the pitch and to the players. And I think part of the reason you see the Mikel celebration and the Odegaard celebration, some of the reactions is because they were sort of channeling the energy of the crowd. So I'll start with you, Tim. Um, you don't have to tell me about your view. Cause in a moment I'm going to one up, <laughs> I'm going to one up your view if that is actually possible. Um, but tell, tell me about your experience on the day of being there and the, the energy in the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't have, I was at a game earlier in the day and I had to like literally run over. So for me personally, that was actually an all right build up because I didn't have a lot of time to think about the enormity of this game. I had to focus on getting to it. I, I think the first thing to say before coming on to the crowd is one of the things I think that's been underplayed in the stuff I've read and listened to so far, the conditions of the match. The wind was absolutely howling. It was very, very, very gusty in London. And I watched a game earlier in the day in a much smaller stadium and felt the force of that far, far more. And it is not a coincidence at all that arguably the two best centre-backs in the league made a mistake because they thought the ball was going to roll back to their goalkeeper and it didn't. The ball was really holding up. The conditions made a real difference. And honestly, Elliot, before the game, I thought that's going to suit Liverpool more than us because they're the chaos team, right? They're the team that's going to go long, hit those long diagonals, put that doubt into your mind, pressure you. We're the ones who dealt with it better. And as much as the, the win against Man City in October that to me felt like Arsenal playing like Man City playing Man City at their own game control take the jeopardy out take the sting out take your chance when it comes this was much more Liverpool at Anfield I feel like we we kind of played Liverpool at their own game and a big part of that was drawing on the energy of the crowd and before the game you know you can always pitch it by how people engage with the angel uh, the Louis Dunford song mm. before the game and it was it was ear splitting and uh, you know where I am in the first half Sinchenko's on my side I, I really w- I hope someone has a video of him singing it as well before the game because he's walking over to left back and it's just like looking up at the sky like screaming every word and you think okay crowd's up for this today no one's talking about silver membership ballots no one's talking about you know the reduction in Ashburton Army no one's talking about those things it's we need the crowd for this game. We know this is a massive game. We know we have to win. I think everyone knew that, whether they wanted to say it or not. And I think most people did say it. And and we were engaged from the off. And from that, the players were really engaged from the off for the first five, ten minutes, which is something we've not always done this season. Um, we haven't had those early goals and things like that. And it was just, um, it was really, really 
yeah, it was players and, and fans really feeding off each other. And you could sense in both the players and the fans that this was the game, this was the game for your life game. We had to win and everyone knew it. Yeah. And, and I think the enormity of it wasn't lost on, on the players. It certainly wasn't lost on the managers. I think there's so many interesting things to come out of this psychologically. You know, it's funny because with all this focus on our celebrations, I think what it misses is Klopp's reaction. You know, I think one of the saddest moments in the Manchester United Arsenal rivalry was when Alex Ferguson started complimenting Arsene Wenger. Because that's when you knew he didn't really fear us anymore, right? And you look at this game and the mighty Liverpool that everyone thought was going to go do it, the one with all the experience. What's Klopp doing after the game? He's blaming the ref. He's moaning about about calls. He's not He's not doing the, they, oh, they were excellent. They're really very excellent side, aren't they? Like, he was blaming the ref. And what was Van Dyke doing with all his experience? Flicking out at Kai, nearly getting himself a red card, right? Losing his composure. I think there was a little bit of a turning of the tide in the way we dominated them in this game. And the energy of our fans, you know, and the whole narrative is supposed to be, oh, it's Klopp sending off and they're going to have the wind at their back now emotionally. But it was our emotion and our composure and our dominance that rattled them. And I, I, you know, if you want to believe in those kinds of things mattering, then this, this was a marker, not just in our football, but in our psychological edge for a team that I think has sometimes been criticized rightly so for not having that edge. Clive, what about you? How is your, how was your experience of the day? And of course we'll get in the lineup. We'll get in the tactics. We'll do all the, all the deep dive analytical stuff, the big moments, but uh, why don't you give me just an overview of how you experienced a, a really special day for the, for the team, for the season? Yeah, the day was dictated by the Jesus stories coming out, right? And then suddenly, mm. the team selection discussions we had last week were all thrown up in the air because he, in all our teams, he was playing, right? So, what are we going to do? Um, going to the game, train strikes my end, nightmare journey. Watching the women's team on the train, not great, Tim. Not great. Mm. That put me in a bad <laughs> mood, right? And I'm thinking, oh crikey, I've got a three-hour journey, and all it takes me an hour. The women are losing. This is not looking good. Get, get to the ground, team's name. I'm okay with it. Um, but I will say, Tim's right about the North London forever. I, I thought, the, for me, that's the best atmosphere of the season. You know, clearly the best atmosphere of the season. And I've been frustrated because I felt as Arsenal fans in January, we didn't have enough games. And so we were looking for problems with our club. And it's very frustrating to sort of... When you're trying to zoom out and, and say, well, actually, we're okay. And fine enough, I said it on the IR earlier, people like yourself and Scott have, have made me look at football in a slightly different way and take the broader picture, not just the emotional what I see on the pitch and what I see tactically, which I can still do, obviously, and then come away and then go, okay, how do we really look? Where's this going? And and I've taken comfort from some of that. And so I, you know, I'm looking at it thinking, we're actually quite good, but we can't see it. We can't see the evolution. We can't see what we're doing because we're not kicking the ball into the net and we're stepping on hand grenades in our own box. We can't see it. The game kicks off and it, and I didn't go to... The only game I've missed this season was a cup game. So I can't tell the comparison, but I felt it, it looked fairly similar. I can't, you know, I can't say how it felt, but it looked fairly similar. If anything, we had a little bit less um, manicness about us. We were a little bit more controlled and... We were more mature. And and, and I have to say, we'll, we'll get on to him. I think the, the shape that we played with our fullbacks, again, we spoke about it, cradling the team rather than being on the inside, having a true double pivot and playing a six plus four rather than a five plus five. 
I think for these big games, it really works. And so on, the, so on the atmosphere side of things, honestly, mate, electric, electric, electric. I just cannot tell you, you know, how good it was in there. We were, everyone crapped themselves, obviously, when the goal went at halftime, we were absolutely devastated. But they held together and, and we came through. And the most enjoyable day of the season for me. And um, back to your point about Klopp, I think the respect of Arsenal changed at Anfield. That's the first time they looked at us and thought, okay, they're good. The cup game, let's be honest, they were lucky. We, we own goal, take the game away. In this game, it come together. And I said to you earlier, I think we've caught Liverpool and people sort of smirked and laughed at me, but I think we've caught them. I think we're right there with them. I think City are still the best team in the world. But I think we're right there with them. But we need this game to make other people, maybe more people, sorry, believe how far we've come. Yeah. I, I don't think we're with them. I think we're past them. I think we've been past them all season. Mm. I think the thing that they have is that they master the big moments. They have the players that that convert in the big moments to turn football matches. And in this game, that, that stood on its head. It almost didn't at halftime, to your point. But what's interesting is 3.5 XG to 0.4, the most XG they've allowed since Opta started collecting data, right? We battered them. Is this game any different than any other we've played, though? In, in the other games, the difference is the Kai shot gets saved and it doesn't fall right to Saka. Or we don't get the easy Martinelli goal or the, the Trissard goal doesn't go through the keeper's legs. The reality is, and we hate to admit it, football comes down to the things that sometimes go your way and sometimes don't. And they went our way in this game. But you know what my honest feeling is? It's been fine the whole time. We've been this good the whole time. The moments went for us today. Against West Ham, they didn't. In the away game, that was a little more 50-50. But in the cup tie, we had them. The moments went their way. And in this game, they went our way. But they deserved to because our dominance was so thorough and so complete. And I think I think this team plays too well not to deserve to have days like this where the moments do go your way. But, and I'm not saying this to knock the performance, I'm saying this to, to elevate it. I don't think this is an outlier. I think we've been this good all season. I think we are past Liverpool. Now, will we continue to convert the moments that win games? We shall see. But if we do, I think we have every bit the chance to be, to be champions. And we are certainly, certainly in a title race as a result of it. I will only say this because there's too much to talk about to go into it in depth. I flew out to Salt Lake City for the game. You say, why on earth would you fly out to Salt Lake City, Utah for a game in London? Because there's a technology built by a company called Cosm, and they're opening these centers in Dallas and LA, and we're going to try to do one this summer in Los Angeles as part of the US tour, assuming LA is a, is a, is a destination. Um, but it's basically a dome that wraps around you, and people go in and you you sit in the dome, and, and it's photorealistic, and it wraps all the way around you. And I the only thing I can say is it was like I was at the Emirates. I've I have been in the privileged position to be at the Emirates before. This was essentially the same thing. It was staggering and uh just a, a really breathtaking way to see the game and to see it with other Arsenal supporters who had you know, this community is unbelievable, right? I didn't have a lot of details. I didn't know much about it. This was something we announced like a couple days before just to patrons because the details were sketchy. There was only room for so many people. They basically had to bring out extra folding chairs because so many patrons in the Salt Lake City area said, I want to be there and I want to celebrate this game together. And so instead of you know sitting home alone watching it, I got to do it that way. And it was a really special occasion. And uh, Jaden came out for his birthday. We had a patron who drove down from Vancouver. Just unbelievable collection of people. Cosm um, 
C-O-S-M, interesting name, Cosm, but you can uh, check it out on my social media. I posted some pictures, but I'm, I'm hoping we'll do an event there. But my point was simply to say, I had, I had Tim's view. I had Clive's view. I felt like I was there with you guys and it was brilliant. So let's do the lineup. And you know what, Clive, like I, I think the person who deserves the most credit is the guy getting the most, the, the most criticism for enjoying football. And that is Mikel Arteta. Because Mikel Arteta got everything absolutely right in this game. He's up against the guy who I think is one of the best in football, who's having his farewell, you know, celebration. And I think he just, he, he did a staggering job with his lineup, with his substitutions. It's not like he had, um, you know, peak Brazil to choose from on the bench. Rule Walters is there and El Nenny is there. You know, it wasn't, wasn't exactly stacked. But he trusted his squad when he needed to make substitutions and he trusted his squad with the lineup. And I think the decision to start Jorginho and to go with Kai up top, those were match-winning decisions. Obviously, Jorginho winds up being man of the match. Kai, I think, had a lot of big moments pass him by, but gave the kind of battling center-forward performance we've often missed this season that occupied the center backs and I think ultimately led to the goals that were scored and the the, the grinding down of Liverpool so that they could be vulnerable. Um, what do you think about Kai getting the start at nine and Jorginho starting in midfield as two critical decisions that the manager, I think, got spot on? Absolutely. I wonder what the team would have been if Jesus would have been fit. That's one thing. But I can't deny it now. I've been to all of the, let's call the Man City and Liverpool games, the big games, apart from the cup game. And the Man City charity shield, Kai played centre forward, unsettled them. We had a double pivot in charity shield. Excellent. Um, in the Man City home game, Tim, Jorginho played then, didn't he? In the home game against City. Havertz came off the bench. Havertz came off the bench, centre forward, unsettled him. We got the winner. In this game, Havertz played centre forward. I, w- I wasn't calling for Jorginho. I wasn't when we when Jesus was playing. But once Jesus was out, it seemed like the, the obvious thing to do. And it's either Eddie at centre forward or Havertz at centre forward. Havertz at centre forward worked. And the, what is almost like we had twin centre forwards, if you know what I mean, twin false nines with him and, and, and Odegaard. And their ability to drop and then go high is what unsettled Liverpool. So they didn't have no one to mark and suddenly he's running through them. And it's his running ability that really caught them out. We don't really run in behind from the centre of the pitch. We run in behind from the sides, but not the centre. And his ability to drop and then turn and spin, but also physically pin them and engage them, which gave our wide men the best games of their season. You know, yes. there's no coincidence yep. here. If you don't totally attract agree. people to you, how can you get those one-on-ones? You know, and and so Havert showed what, maybe what type of centre-forward we need. Is it, is it a pivot centre-forward? Is it a true player that facilitates for others? That's what he did. I don't want to steal all the lines from Georgina, but that's exactly what he did. He facilitated for others. He made himself available when they're under stress. And we could go into the double pivot discussion. I hope we do. But he helped Declan Rice, and Declan Rice helped him. Totally complimentary. The brains and wisdom of Jorginho to the immense power and physicality and defensive instinct of Rice. I know Georgina's getting the flowers today, but I have not seen Declan Rice play that good, ever. It was amazing to watch his dominance in the duels and how he read situations. It was totally complimentary. They took rests alternately. When one needed to step in, the other one stepped in and vice versa. 
masterclass of a six plus four. Let's create a base. Let's control things and let's hit four people up up there. And, and it worked beautifully. And one thing Arteta said earlier, just before I stop, he said we play it this way because it's hard. Liverpool don't allow the fifth person to attack. And I do, I don't know what he means by that. I would love to know. But this six plus four works for me. When we turn the corner of the year, this looks like Arsenal to me for big games. Yeah, I thought what he meant with the fifth person attack is the twin eights, right? The the ability to go three plus two. So you have the three forwards and then normally we'd do like Kai and Odegaard, right? And that fifth person in the attack is the, the left eight crashing the box. And I, I think he's saying you, you can't do that against Liverpool. And we didn't, right? We we had Jorginho sitting I don't, a little deeper than I think Kai does, right? When Kai plays eight, um, or at least progressing more and facilitating more. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, I, 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 I saw that, but I don't know why. He he said we can't do oh, that. You say you don't know why, why? Yeah, I don't do know why. Yeah, I know. I know what I saw, mate. <laughs> I mean, like, but it's like I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I love to know what well, tactically they do. I can't. I haven't worked it out yet, but I'll have a look around. I'll have a look. I wonder if it's more about what happens in the transitions when you lose the ball. Right. And and if you have that player push slightly more up, because we know that what they want to do is play direct and play quick. I think they have the most direct attacks in the Premier League this season, the third fastest attacking speed in the league this season. Um, so they, they are very direct. But Tim, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because we hear people say we're the best out of possession team in the world. Okay. I, I think that's probably true. But we criticize some of the players that I think make us good out of possession. And, mm. and that is an interesting conundrum, right? Because with all the will in the world to Eddie and Kedia, who can run in behind and finish and score goals, out of possession, he can't do what Kai did in this game, right? Um, and I don't want to overdo it, but, you know, I mean, people miss chances. Kai, Kai misses a chance that falls to Saka and he scores. I mean, to be fair, in the 11th minute, Saka misses a chance from Martinelli's cross that, that should be converted. It happens, but it's what you do out of possession that really matters. And and this was a masterclass in being out of possession. I, I think our first half, Tim, up until the very, very last action of it, is as good as you can play against a good team. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen Liverpool, even, even in some of those peak Liverpool City games where City had them at times, I don't think I've seen them controlled and shut down and pushed back the way we did that first half. So what do you think triggered that allowed us to to do that and if you want to sort of weave in the 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 lineup component to that please feel mm. free but um, that first half was it's as dominant you know so, so and it's funny right because i've been calling us a dominant football team all season i think people said you know you're not dominant if you don't score this that and the other mikhail was asked after the game about the level of control we exerted and he said i don't like the word control i like mm. the word dominance so uh how do you think we achieved that level of dominance in the first half I think what you're seeing more and more in recent years, particularly in what you know we'll call the Klopp Pep years, mm. is that in these big games, like the quality is so high, the quality of the players is so high, of the subs and of the coaches, and it's actually quite often the little coaching details that can win and lose you these games. Now it's not like um, you know not to do down like either manager, but like in the Ferguson Wenger era, it was largely. These two teams are going to do what they always do. Um, they might kick each other quite a bit, and one of them will win, or it'll be a draw. Whereas now, what you see is just little tweaks, little details. And you know, let's look at playing Man City twice last season, the home game. Bernardo Silva at left back. Do you think Arsenal prepared for that? 
very much doubt it, but they did it. Um, and then like in the second game where Pep was talking about how he decided to position De Bruyne like behind Thomas Partey and they ate us up on transition. And, you know, those little details, coaching details, win you these games. And so we can talk about the lineup, but it's it, I wasn't massively surprised by the lineup. I tell you what I was surprised by. I didn't pick Jorginho's left eight when I saw it. And immediately I'm like, oh, I'm not Jorginho and Zinchenko on the same side of the pitch. Is that really what we want against a team like Liverpool? But <laughs> Liverpool clearly <laughs> didn't prepare for that. And the way Havertz played, I'm thinking, yep, Havertz is who I'd have chosen up front for this game as well. Thought he played well there in the cup game. But I was thinking of us being quite direct and, you know, looking for those flick-ons perhaps to Martinelli and Saka. And like Clive said, instead what happened was Havertz dropped into midfield. He dropped into the kind of left eight area actually quite a lot. And then it was Erdegaard running beyond him. It was Martinelli running beyond him. Martinelli looked much more effective in this game. We were able to find him earlier. I do think a little part of that as well is David Raya. Um, in terms of Martinelli improving, Raya is finding him early. Um, you know, that Saka chance you referenced that comes from, that's why one of the reasons Raya's in the team collects the cross, bang, no wasting time, ball's gone, um, which we saw against Palace a couple of times, and he's getting that kick out to Martinelli, and we're finding him earlier as well. And, and you know so- what's funny, Tim, just super quick on that, like mm. the way he bursts away from Konate, right? That extra yep. burst he shows, and then the perfect delivery to Saka, that's the thing that makes you go wow and shows you the elite talent of Martinelli, and he has so few opportunities to do that this season, and so turning you know, the keeper possession into a counterattack quickly like that. Those quick transitions, that's how you're going to get that Martinelli. And we haven't seen it much this season. So I think it's, it. the credit goes to Raya, but also to, to Mikel and just generally to finding ways to unlock the things about Martinelli that make him special, as opposed yeah. to banging his head up against two defenders in a low block, you know, for 90 minutes a game. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you, Canate's no joker because mm. before his red card, I was like, wow. This guy is this guy is good. He does the job for Liverpool that I think Gabriel does for Arsenal. In that, you know, we both carry a fullback who's not really a defender, yep. and so Canate. They basically they bought Canate because they understand that Trent is not really a defender, and they need him to go. And that's exactly what Gabriel does on the left for us. And you know, there, there were a lot of Martinelli v Canate. Um, there was a lot of Martinelli Canate action in this game, and it was, you know, I, I have to be honest. A lot of the time, I was like, "Wow, like Canate is really, really good." That is a really smart buy by Liverpool. To they know that people play into that space, mm-hmm. and they've basically bought someone to deal with it. And so, you know, th- that was a pretty even battle, I'd say, all told between Martinelli and Canate. I don't think that does Martinelli any disservice, though, because I think Canate is excellent and he ends up losing his head and getting sent off. But yeah, I, th- I think it's the way we played that formation kind of took Liverpool a bit by surprise. And I think what happened in this game as well, Elliot, similar to the away game at Anfield, where the first 15 minutes of the second half, they make a little tweak because they have an elite manager. He sees all the stuff that's going on and he identifies a weakness in us. And we have 15 minutes where we're a bit rocky, just like we did at Anfield, but we reset 
and we we were uh, then our manager was over to okay i can see this is happening so we're changing we're changing it um we're going to do something to stop that detail and that's that's where these big games are won now they're won by the brains in the dugout quite often and and look our guy um who's you know riding the coattails of, of pep and klopp let's be honest like Arsenal have got to get some silverware on the board and they've got to do it over a long period of time, as Arteta himself said after the game, before he's totally in that company. I think what we can see is very exciting, though, that he and this team have the potential to go there for sure. Yeah, and and Clive, in the first half in particular, the <clears throat> the the level of our performance was off the charts. But I think it was... It was one of those games that gives you a chance to stop and appreciate Martin Odegaard a little bit. And I don't think we always do because it's not enough <clears throat> to just play the line splitting passes. You know, against Liverpool, you have to press, you have to recover, you have to cover ground. You know, I don't think it's any surprise in this game. Or, or, or let me say it a different way. I think it's telling in this game. The Bukayo Saka gets subbed off, maybe with a little cramp, maybe a little fatigue, just so we have the running power to win the game. Martinelli gets subbed off. Didn't want to be, but need the running power to finish the game. But Martin Odegaard doesn't. And Martin Odegaard probably covered, I would be willing to bet if you looked at running stats, he's, he's up there, if not top. I don't have access to that, but whoever does, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's top. Um, just the, the, the vision. And when he sets Kai free, I think it's for the goal. He, he knows that opening is there. He doesn't have to look and he plays it first time, right? And, and plays him in. But he had so many little moments like that where I think he was getting it exactly right between keeping the ball, playing it first time. The tempo of his passing was good. His recovery is good. And it was a captain's performance for me. And I think because, to your point, Rice was incredible and Jorginho was man of the match and Kai was an unexpected start and a big part of the win. You know, Because of some of the ways this game developed, I don't think Odegaard has been talked about as much. So I wanted to give you a chance to, to give your impression of, of his performance and especially you know, the first half, but I think we saw the quality first half and then the graft that he can give you and the, the running he can give you second half. I was blown away by him. Yeah, it's almost like you can't look at him as, as individuals, Elliot, I'll be honest with you, because mm. I thought they worked as a unit. Um, yeah. The, the, even on that goal, if you watch the build-up at the back of the team, it goes out to Zinchenko, and Zinchenko sees Odegaard in space, and Kai's already made one run, so he dropped deep to lay it off to do a set. He's gone out to, Gab to Gabriel. He set it out to Zinchenko. And Odegaard's already seen that Kai's turned. He said, if you go line, I'll make the line run. And it goes into Odegaard, and Kai turns around, so he makes two runs. He doesn't run past the back line. He slows down, and then as the ball comes through, then he accelerates. And that is trust of each other. That's trust and knowing what each other need. So we, when Odegaard wants that ball from Zinchenko, Zinchenko gives it to him with the right pace, so it's one touch around the corner. That stuff mm. is top class. Top class. I thought Liverpool in this game, what they did, Elliot, they, we all thought that Trent would invert, but actually Joe Gomez inverted, and Trent stayed wide. And that was their little thing to trick us, to pin us on that side, to try to make Zinchenko be the weak point. But we'd already decided with double pivot that we were going to keep Zinchenko quite wide. And face up on that side. And what it became, it became a boxed, almost like three three sets of two. Gabriel, Saliba, White, Jorginho, Havertz, Nodegaard. And they worked boxes down the middle, and I loved it. And they worked as pairs, and they moved and dropped deep and went past each other. And Nodegaard is the brains at the top of the pitch, and Jorginho is the brains at the base of the pitch. 
And they are like the two captains. And what dawned on me in this moment was where we are in our evolution, we are still learning about the emotion of the very biggest games. And on the very biggest games, don't be ashamed to say, let's use the wisdom of our on-field captains, which is basically your Jorginho and, and Odegaard, to, to, to run this team. And I have to look beyond my sort of biases around certain attributes that we have in other players and realise that this team is still the second youngest in the league. This team is fighting against two other teams in Man City and Liverpool that have been to multiple European Cup finals, won multiple trophies, that have the resources, that are further along in their project. And how are we going to close that gap? It's by empowering those guys like Odegaard and Jorginho at these critical moments Georgina, not every three days, maybe every three weeks, but we still need that lift, that guy to lift us past over the line. And, and Odegaard, off the ball, was unreal. The cut of times Joe Gomez got in behind us, but again, we, we went around them. So, yeah, mate, collectively, off the ball, we were sensational in this game, and Odegaard leads that. Yeah, and I think... You know, if you look at the game where it was really, really won was midfield. I think, was it McAllister, uh, Gravenberch, and, and Jones just could not live with our midfield at all. And we we took up positions they couldn't track, they couldn't follow. Because if you look at their front three and their back four and our front three and our back four, I think there was a lot of elite quality there. And ironically, a couple of mistakes made by some of those players we regard as elite that turn the game. But in midfield, it was no contest. And, and Odegaard, they could not track him. And I think when they tried to track him, that that pulled their defensive line out of shape. And you saw that happen um, you know, for, for the Saka goal with uh, Kai getting in. So just a really good, interesting couple of wrinkles, I think, in the way we set up our midfield and the way we approached it. Tim, for all the dominance in the first half, though, we go in level. I want to ask you a couple things about this. First of all, do you have this as a Saliba error? I think some people felt Raya should have come for it. I... I would like Raya to be more decisive because he sort of comes. Like, I'll put it this way. I think it's probably a Saliba error. Saliba can't see. He's looking at his goal. He can't see what's around him. Someone has to give him a shout. Clear it. Get it away. Put it out. Something. He's in the position where he doesn't have the view and he doesn't know what's happening. I don't know if that shout was given. I don't know necessarily what Saliba did there. He's a little hesitant. He, he needs to get bigger so uh, Diaz can't get around him. You know what I mean? To to get the ball back yeah. to the center. Um, but I, I just think, because Raya sort of comes with his hands down. He doesn't make himself big. He doesn't take the man and the ball. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of the decisive stuff. So I'm between thinking it's Saliba's mistake, but that he needs more help there one way or the other. Um, I'm curious where you would sort of apportion the responsibility for that moment. Yeah, I, you know, look, it's both their faults. Um, but on, on the scale, I'd probably have it about 75-25 in terms of Saliba. Um, first, you know, look, yeah, Raya, Raya should have shouted, either clear it or I've got, well, he shouldn't shout, I've got it, because he hasn't. Um, like I said, I think the conditions come into this as well. Van Dyke and Saliba make very similar mistakes because that ball was holding up in the wind at that end of the ground. It was really sticking in the air. Um, so I think there's a bit of that. I think, you know, Raya's quite a long way away, and I think he makes it quite clear he's not coming. So I don't think Saliba should, but maybe he should. But also, I, I think 
the goalkeeper always has that level of anxiety. If they come and clean everyone out, there's a good chance it'll be a penalty. And I also think timing comes into this. The thing that made me so frustrated, I'd be much more accepting of what Saliba did there if it's like 30 minutes or 60 minutes or like the last 10, like the last seconds of the half get it in the stand, get it in the stand. The halftime whistle probably goes, you probably don't even face yeah. the throw in. Like there's a time and a place. And look, at the end of the day, also let's caveat this very heavily. This sticks out because Saliba doesn't make these kind of errors. Van Dyke's like, what, 11 years older than him? And he makes he makes one and it's very, very rare in the same game. And, and so it kind of sticks out. And also sometimes in an error, you've got to have a bit of give and take and say, well, actually... Saliba's such a cool customer and that's like 98% a strength and sometimes your strength can turn into your weakness and I kind of think that's what happens here he's maybe a bit too cool and and in a way as well it's really unfortunate because it's on the left side of the defence I bet Gabriel clobbers that out of play and thinks mm. about it later and maybe shouts at Raya and has a word in his ear on the way to the tunnel. Like, uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably prefer to have seen Gabriel in that particular situation. So, yeah, for me, mainly Saliba's fault, but, you know, like, I'm not going to kill him for it. And I'll say this, it's a testament to Saliba's quality in that he makes a giant error there, probably. I don't think he put a foot wrong the rest of the game. Nope. Before or after. Exactly. You know, that. to be that young and make that high profile mistake Raya in too. that high profile game. Yep. Yep. And and just put didn't put a foot wrong. And you're right. And Raya too. Raya was excellent. Um, should have had a pre assist or whatever you want to call it for a Saka goal. Like he he was great. I think he got all his decisions right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. The the other thing about Raya, I don't know if you noticed this, Clive. In the second half, first time I've seen him interact with the crowd behind the goal like when the ball when we were two and up and the ball was going out he was you know giving it the arms and all of that and I've, I've not seen him do that um before i don't know whether that that's something that he's been spoken to about um or whether he just feels a bit more comfortable now but first time I, or maybe whether it just spoke to the overall atmosphere which i'm sure because he wasn't here last season is the best one he's played in at the, at, at the stadium but yeah, I, there was that element to it as well. I think, imagine yeah. like being invited to a dinner party, but you're not sure people want you there. And then eventually you think, you know what, sorry, I'm here, I'm going to enjoy myself. I think he stopped apologising for being Arsenal's goalkeeper after Dubai. Palace game, I, I saw a difference in him in that day. And he started to come out, be more aggressive, start claiming things. And I think he was frozen to his line a lot. And he was getting caught by things. Cause he was worried about what people were thinking about him. Since then, he said, Soddy, I'm going to grab this for real. And he's been excellent, and he was excellent in this game. And by the way, for me, Saliba, 80-20. Deal with it, son. Deal with it. Don't let the yeah. situation deal with you. <laughs> deal with it early. And he let he, he, he let Jeopardy come into it. As long as you don't deal with it, yep. something can go wrong. So it's his fault. Simple as that. And it's funny, no one, you know what's weird? Football is a game that where luck can play such a big role because it's so low scoring and no one ever wants to hear it. But like to me, it was it was a microcosm of our season. We dominated, absolutely dominated, scored just one goal when we should have had multiples. And they get a goal from a moment of hesitation from Saliba. But here's the thing, you guys. It still requires a poked ball to hit Gabriel's hand while he's spinning to pull it into the net for it to be a goal. It's everything that that I I had felt this whole season, which is just if there's a way that the odds could go against us, they would. And 
Clive, at, at that moment where I was watching the game and among the supporters I was with, things were pretty pretty dark. Uh, there was one optimistic gentleman who said this will end 3-1 to the Arsenal, and uh, he was correct. So <laughs> kudos to him. But the rest of us were in a bad place. And I can understand why, because it felt like a microcosm of our season in a way. And I, I think I tweeted at the time, we are the best team at the world, the best team in the world at all the moments in between the ones that decide football matches. Because that's how I felt. We had dominated the game, but in the moments that decide football matches, both our chances that we don't take and the other key moments in the defensive area where we where we let a team get a goal from nothing. And that's how it felt. So I'm curious, how low were you? How low was the crowd? Because I also think the, the players were absolutely inconsolable and, and came out of the halftime break, I thought, looking a little bit inconsolable, frankly. So where were you at that point in terms of evaluating us and, and the mood of the moment? I'll tell you where I was. I literally just left my seat to go and get my free beer at half time. And I was just walking across to see, and I could see the goal happening on the tellies because I was that comfortable that we weren't going to concede. I thought, you know what? Mm. I fancy a couple. Let's get them in. <laughs> and, so, um, and so basically I missed it live, you know? So, but a you couple of patrons. from what the TV camera showed. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's comfortable. Go and get your drinks. Do you see what I mean? And, um, and, a couple of patrons walked past me and said, and they said a few swear words, and I just had this glazed look <laughs> on my face because I didn't see that come in. And then, of course, you go, you go into a doomsday scenario, don't you? you throw yourself into a hole. That's what we all do, and we think we never get no luck. It's going to be like the cup game. Look at what I remember what happened to West Ham: seventy-seven touches in the box, we don't score. It's going to happen again. They've done nothing. And they've got a goal. They didn't have a goal and shot on target and we own goal them in the cup game. I mean, everything you can think of ever gone wrong. Anything didn't come into our minds was probably a Newcastle 4-4. Every bad result comes into your mind, isn't it? And um, and you get yourself into this negative spiral. You come out of a dressing room. If you go into a dressing room, imagine what it's like in our dressing room, like, you know, funeral time. In their dressing room, mm -hmm. they're buzzing, thinking we've been crap and we're 1-1. Let's go and chill them in the first few phases of the second half. And that's what they tried to do. And the pitch looked different after halftime. Uh, it just looked like they were finding space wherever they liked. I know if we were all, and it, we're just expecting it now. And there was a moment, and I saw Phil speak about this on, on the IR. There was a moment when Odegaard had a shot that deflected past the near post. And that was the moment when belief came back into the team and to the ground. Because that could have deflected in. It was really close. We get a corner. The players turn towards the crowd. And they, the crowd turned towards the players and said, right, let's have this. And from that moment on, it changed. It changed. But we had to suffer those 10 minutes or so. And, mate, that was as dark as it gets. Let's be honest. All week, we've been told eight points and it's over. I'm, I'm saying, please don't lose. If we get a win, great. So that starts to wear on you. The season, the project, the people in the project, how we recruit, how we do everything. We see it's all been set up. I mean, we, we can't even, we're not even good at playing youth players anymore. We've got crap atmosphere. It's all been set up. Do you know what I mean? We're all well, this player shouldn't have been bought, that player shouldn't have been bought. Because we're all petrified of the of the outcome not being what we expected to be. So at this moment in time, at that moment, mate, we were all in the same place. It's 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 a problem. We have a problem. So to come yeah. back from that was wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and especially, I mean, you could even layer on to that. The last two seasons, what's the thing that the, the narrative around us has been? Oh, we're bottlers, right? We bottle it. And that halftime, 
it was all teed up for it a little bit. So Tim, to make matters worse, Zinch, well, or better, depending on how you, how you perceive it, but Zinchenko has to go off at halftime. We didn't know at the time, but it sounds like it's a calf. We don't know how serious. Um, the good news is, well, not for our Japanese listeners, but Tomiyasu is is returning. So that that gives us a bit of a lift if um, if Zinchenko has to miss time. But a man who will feel he's earned the right to play is the man that Mikhail trusted. Kivior comes on at halftime. And uh, we probably won't go deep into Kivior. He actually had one of our best chances in the second half. No idea how he wound up there. But it was, it was a fantastic performance from him. But let's be honest. Those 10 minutes, 15 minutes right after halftime, the wind was just out of our sails. And I'm, I'm wondering what you think about how we managed our way through that. I felt really bad for the players in that moment because you'd played so well. You deserved so much better. But in the key moments, it hadn't gone your way. And they, they came out of halftime like they looked like, here we go again. Um, what do you think of that period and how we managed it? And to Clive's point, maybe it was that deflected shot that, that got us out of there. But was there anything tactical that you saw that Liverpool did maybe a little bit differently um, that allowed them to get on top? There was you know a couple of flashing Diaz shots that were close. It was, um, it was a ropey period. Yeah, it was. And they, they did largely what they did in the cup game. And maybe that means we were a bit prepared for it, but they targeted our right-hand side, mm-hmm. um, which which is kind of why Kivior coming on. I mean, first of all, I, I kind of like the fact that we didn't overthink that because um, it would have been quite easy to say, oh, Kivior's been a bit up and down because he's been in and out of the team. Do I do something else here? It's like, nope, we're playing all right. Like, And hey, presto, when your whole team's playing all right, individuals tend to be okay. Um, so, you know, and they, they didn't go down that side that much, um, but they started going down our right. And, um, and I honestly, I don't really know what we tweaked there to kind of stop that, whether it was, I'd have to go back and watch it again, whether we put more pressure on the ball so that they weren't able to get the ball over there. Um, whether Saka was just dropping a little bit. I think maybe he did a bit, um, cause he had some clearances in the box in this game, albeit I think we were two one up at the time. So maybe it was a, a bit natural just to drop deeper, but I, I think Phil and Clive are, are, are right there that like, the, the kind of the air went back into the balloon with that Erdegaard deflected shot and and it kind of, it just got things going again. And, and Arteta referenced this as well. And he seemed to, I mean, Arteta's not someone who goes into tactics too much publicly, but mm. he talked about, you know, I talked to the team at half time about you can go and win this game again. You know, you've, you've basically done it once, you're good enough to do it again, but he kind of suggested that he didn't feel the belief was there for the first yeah. kind of 15 minutes of the half and then it, it kind of came back. So whether it was just like an emotional thing, this was quite an emotional game as well as a tactical game. Um, so it, yeah, Liverpool, like, tweak something and I think Arteta referenced someone moving inside a little bit um, and, and I think that might have been Curtis Jones a little bit mm-hmm. because he has he has a shot doesn't he where you know they're targeting that side and he kind of comes in and curls one just wide at the beginning of the half so you know I don't know whether they drop Rice a little bit to deal with that um, but yeah it, it was Look, we, we had to go through that period and we could have lost the game. That that Curtis Jones curler could go in. We could be 2-1 down, led totally out of the blue. That's what happened in the cup game, right? Like they score and we go a goal down and the whole stadium just went, ah, oh, this is done. Um, 
so you know that that little bit went our way but i mean really over the 90 minutes i think we had 75 of them so we kind of we we really really deserved that but yeah and and look the team have shown that they can suffer to use arteta's phrase in these periods like i said earlier they did it at anfield and maybe there is just an element of that um, maybe i'm reading too much into it but maybe some of those periods they went through last season where they didn't deal with that where they have like a bad 10 minutes at west ham where you know, they give a goal away and miss a penalty and everyone kind of sags and we let them back into the game. Maybe going through those things has taught them a thing or two about um, about how to come out of those moments intact. So I, I think there's a few things in there. I'd have to watch it again to see the tactical side, but I do think there was a bit of an emotional element to it as well. Yeah, it's interesting because in that Cosm Centre that I was in, like one of the ca- camera angles they have is behind the, the goal. And it's literally like you're the water bottle or something. You just could see it all. And after Luis uh, Diaz's flash shot early in the second half, you could just see Saliba and White and Raya. And they were just standing there, dejected. They weren't talking to each other. They had kind of like blank looks on their face. I'm looking at them like, this is a team that's got to go on and win this game. Are you kidding me? But they did. And I think one of the reasons the elation was so huge at full time is not just that we won it. It's that I think everybody had written the story in their head already. We're going to talk about how well we played, but we choked in the big moments and we don't wind up winning. And that's why there's also the focus on celebration as well, because everyone's so invested in that narrative and they're waiting for it to happen again so that they can go back to this in three months' time if we haven't won the league and say, see, they celebrated it too early again. It's just like, it's just setting the trap before things happen because that's quite an easy, lazy thing to do. But what's so funny is, Arsenal are bottlers, and it's a must-win game. But if you win it to buck the narrative that you're bottlers and win the must-win game, you also then cannot over-celebrate that you've done that. Like it, I don't understand the rules as they've set them out. Uh, Clive, you wanted to weigh in on the on that period? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we're not. <laughs> it's to tell the pundits thing. It's not important, but it is important, you know, because we all talk about it today. And when I was on the train last night, it's all I could see. You know, so it is important. And uh, it's disappointing. Even though we bucked the script, they're still going to go ahead with the script anyway and not mm-hmm. look at the fact that we changed our system away from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-2. Not look at that. That if People say that we're, we've been rumbled. Well, rumble us now. You know? Look at the fact that everyone's going to need a centre-forward. We're not going to play centre-forward. We'll play two number 10s. And work that out. And then your two wide men become your goal scorers. what they do? Two 22-year-old wide men just ripped the best form team in in Europe apart, you know, and could have scored more, you know. So they're not looking at that. They're not, and it's it's so disappointing that the evolution, even from people from the outside who are meant to be experts, looking at us, haven't seen it yet. I'm sure by tomorrow we'll see it. There'll be an athletic article coming out, no doubt, very soon, saying how we played, and then all the guys in the mainstream will have to read those and work out what we actually did. You know what I mean? Rather than be there in the ground where they've got a fantastic view and actually say something. You know, say something. The first guy I saw was Danny Murphy on Match of Day 2 when he highlighted that he maybe doubted Arsenal unfairly. And he said it. I thought, brilliant. You're a Liverpool man. Absolutely fantastic. I think I think Tim's right about us. Um, Liverpool were obsessed with overloading the centre of the pitch because they know that's how we want to progress the ball. We, mm. by playing two double tens, they had to get in there and mix it up. They did it with um, with Gomez coming inside. 
And when he came inside, they got into wide areas with with Diaz a little bit. In the in the in the home cup game, Nunes came on and he and Jota came centre forward. He came on and they were able to add a different look. And Saliba struggled with Jota as a centre forward, and Nunes ran a less fit White backwards. White was fit. And he repelled everything, and he was a hero in this game. An absolute How good was hero. He? Absolute not just, not just hero. defensively, Clive, but but he had the thing. He's we haven't seen a lot of this season. Just the audacity, an extra touch to get past someone, to 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 get around someone, and then drive us forward again. He, he was really he's back to his best, isn't he? Exactly. Within a game, there are games of in games. So Ben White, he may not have done five overlapping crosses earlier, but in this mm-hmm. game, they were targeting him. They were targeting him. Like we were targeting the space between Canate and, and Trent. And then you have to make that tactic work. So this is why, for me, Martinelli and Havertz are heroes because we got in that side. They caused enough distraction so we were able to overload in midfield but also get to their back line and run through on a consistent basis. So it worked. So you look at our right-hand side, which they targeted, and it didn't work as well. The so Ben White is secret coach man of the match. Because he repelled their their strength, what they were trying to do. Now, Tim's right. If Curtis Jones curled that in, we're going to be looking at Ben White and wondering if he's okay. That's how the margins are. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's how the margins mm-hmm. are. But he stopped them countless times. And, and, in, and in games like this, you're going to have moments where you're not on top. But you're going to also have moments when you have to adjust. And if your players are good enough and not sorry, multi-dimensional enough to change in-game and be effective in a different zone of the pitch without having to make three substitutions because they're so one-dimensional. And by the way, that's where we used to be two years ago. We were able to adjust to them with the same players on the pitch. And that's how you have to look at players when you judge them. What can they do for me in this scenario? And what can they do for me in that scenario? Can they adjust and be effective and influential and disturb the opposition? There's a lot of players in that team that were man of the matches. That was a fantastic performance. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. We, we've still got to talk. Penalty shout. The winning goals. What it means. Um, where we go from here. The substitutions. Trissard, of course. Um, all of that. So that means I've got to talk the quickest I can talk. The quickest I can talk is very quick, by the way. And the first thing I'm going to talk about very, very quickly is AG1. AG1 is 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. Look, I started taking AG1 because I had gut health issues. I had a friend who happens to be a doctor, but more than he's my friend, and I trust him, and he said, you got to take this stuff. You're going to love it. Um, the things I love about it, first of all, you know, it is the kind of stuff that your body can absorb. I was taking gummy vitamins mainly because I like candy, but let's be honest, that's what they are. They're, they're a lot of calories of sugar. This is uh, no sugar. It's it's keto-friendly, vegan-friendly, paleo-friendly, so it, it supports the lifestyle you're already living. Designed by athletes, right, as part of sports science, so great for recovery. I love it because it helped with the gut health issues. Also, <clears throat> as you can probably help uh, here, helped with energy levels. So I've been able to drink a little bit less coffee, which was something I wanted to do as well. So with AG1, you get all those vitamins, you get all those uh, adaptogens and probiotics. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash vision. That's drink ag1.com slash vision. Check it out. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't online therapy. It's therapy that's online. 
That's the way I like to say it because the reality is there are a number of reasons people don't do therapy and, and I've done therapy and I loved it. But the things I know that have stopped me from, you know, doing it again or doing it in the future was I got to get in the car. I got to drive there. I got to leave the house. I got to go someplace away, right? That may be difficult to get to or with a work schedule, you may not be able to fit it in. Then I got to drive home. What if that person doesn't connect with me? The next person I find that, that might be a good fit could be an hour away. And as important as therapy is, you say, I'm not going to drive an hour away. Therapy isn't just about crisis management either. It's about maintenance. We exercise for maintenance. We eat right for maintenance. And yet we do nothing for our mental health. And, and like, you know, we have family and friends and they're there for us. And that's important. But, but therapy is about putting in work. And that's not the job of, of fam, family and friends. It's a job of therapists. So you can use BetterHelp to do therapy that's convenient, that's affordable, where you can find the person you connect with, even a specialist if you need a specialist, and you can do it uh, with camera off if you want to, which is a nice feature. So uh, you can try BetterHelp now. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today. I guess that's part of the Valentine's Day thing just occurred to me that I haven't mentioned. So uh, there you go. Become your own soulmate. Why not? Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now. And finally, last but certainly not least, it's time for the ultimate face-off. The Beard Bowl is here. I guess that's a superb owl reference. Super Bowl, superb owl. Um, Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit is the MVP of facial grooming. You can go to manscaped.com and use promo code ArsenalVision for 20% off and free shipping, and you can get all kinds of fun stuff, including their Beard Hedger. It's a cordless trimmer. It packs one guard with 20 different lengths. That's right. No more messy drawers full of guards, and I do like that because uh, you, you lose them all immediately, right? You get the thing, it's got all these guards, and the first thing you do is lose all the guards. They also have stuff for your beard, like beard balm and beard oil and shampoo and conditioner. So yes, they have the, the lawnmower, and they have the weed whacker, and they have all the tonics and ointments and stuff, but they've got the Beard Hedger, the Beard Hedger Pro Kit is going to give you everything you need to tame and maintain your beautiful beard if you are someone who is sporting one of those. Um, you get the beard accessory pack too, by the way, the beard brush, the beard comb, and the beard scissors for the finishing touch. So give that a try. Get 20% off free shipping with our code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at Manscaped.com with our code ArsenalVision. Gear up for the real show where your beard takes center stage. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Not it. Quickly, quickly, quickly on this one. I just want to get your opinion. Tim, is it a penalty or not when Kai Havertz's ankles get clipped? Ankle. Gets um, clipped. I haven't seen the replay. Okay, uh, Arson. <laughs> and I was on the other side. I, I have to say, my so I've only seen it once in real time. I, I didn't think it was at the time. Um, and I certainly don't think it's big enough to get het out of shape for, really. Um. Yeah, I... I so, I was right there, Elliot. Literally, that is where I am, think? looking down. And mm-hmm. he he spins in behind again, which they were running back towards their goal a lot, which is great. But then he's, he, he took a touch across him that he didn't need to be that far across him because <laughs> he had it's him a very beat. heavy touch back into the danger. Yeah, well, he just got the angle wrong. So the, the, the size of the touch was, was right because you want a big touch so you can run onto it. But he just got the angle wrong and he brought it into a sphere where it's 50-50. If he has a slightly straighter touch, he's in complete control of that duel. And whatever happens, the referee's going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But because he brought it into play, and I think it was McAllister, wasn't it? He got just enough of the ball without taking the legs. And so I'm, I'm happy with that not being a penalty. But I'm happy also that he kept spinning in behind their midfield. And that's what we, that was so successful for today, right? It was all good. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have it as poor from Kai, but probably a penalty. Because the thing that makes it a penalty for me is his ankle gets scissored. And that's probably, a, I, I think it's one of these that in the varier it goes something like this. If the ref gives it, it stays a pen. If the ref doesn't give it, it doesn't become a pen because I don't know that it's clear and obvious. So I think it is one that just comes down to the ref. And um, Anthony Taylor, you know, he he does like to be the story. I, I think we come away from this day feeling fine about his performance, although I was furious about the Ben White time-wasting yellow in the 30th minute. Like, there's no need to give that. Having said that, we were taking a hell of a lot of time over over throw-ins and and dead balls and stuff. So I, I understand why he did it. Um but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sometimes I, I gotta say this, and sometimes when <laughs> you was take a throw throwing, and the throwing thing, I'm not sure why it's taking so long, because the left hand side we are far quicker, right? And and re, quick restarts were the theme of the whole game. Liverpool's quick free kicks and quick throws. And we were doing it as well. Goalkeeper got the ball from the ball boys, ball girls, straight away, bang, put it down. You know, it was really, really quick. When Ben White has it, it takes takes a bit longer, but sometimes he hasn't got an option and he's just waiting for the options to be created. Good teams take your passes away. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and he's waiting for perfection. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he's so slow, but it's it's not new. You know, it's not new. I just haven't worked it out yet. Yeah. I mean, it's weird in a way because I, I thought that that penalty shout was kind of a microcosm of, of Kai's game in a way, right? Which is like, it didn't quite go for it. Like Kai had one of those weird games because he was so impactful and important in the way that he battled and pushed the center backs back and confused them. He would drop and Martinelli would come into the center and off the ball and out of possession. As we've talked about, he was key on the ball in the big moments. He didn't execute, right? The the shot is not a good one that when Saka scores that, that touch is too big. He has another shot. That's a really good chance that I, I don't think he is as decisive within the game, but you have to do other things in the game than just execute in the big moment. Now, ultimately for Arsenal this season, the story is we need someone to execute in the big moment. So I I have this as like a 9 out of 10 performance from Kai for all the stuff other than the, the moment, <laughs> you know, um, in, in some ways. Uh, Clive? Sorry, I've got to say this. Uh, I think he, he provides a centre-forward before, by the way, it's attacking midfield performance that he then turns to be a centre forward and a midfielder and a number ten, all in the same game, right? So to, he has those capabilities, those physical attributes to do that, to run beyond and come short and, and link up. And if we are looking at centre forwards that we are looking to buy, that we all like, they're on our list. What do you think they're going to bring? They're going to bring a level of presence and physicality and a little bit of chaos, and that's what he brought. And so what he didn't bring was a final shot on this day. He had one shot, but we scored from it. You know, so, um, and then he had one penalty run, which, so what? You know, didn't quite didn't quite work out. Could have gone his way, couldn't have gone, how this gone his way. He did so many other things. He put them down to 10 men. And the amount of times that Van Dyke and Canate were on their ass tells you we had something in our in our front line that they were not used to and they could not handle. And there isn't many better centre-back pairings than them. you know. And he did that to them. So we need to really think about this. This potentially could be our big game team. You know, this type of system and how we play, when we get to the, hopefully later on in the Champions League, we might be 
we might be deferring to this because this this really does work. Yeah, yeah. I mean it it absolutely works, and I think it it probably becomes the way forward on the days that Jesus is not available. Maybe even on some days when Jesus is available. Um, Tim, we we get back out in front due to a fluke, an error. But I think calling it an error doesn't give us a chance to celebrate the graft in this performance and and why that matters. I mean, Martinelli chases down a bit of a lost cause. And he doesn't just chase it down, but he's got that that competitiveness in him to just shoulder to shoulder with a much bigger man in Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. And it throws him off just enough. And Allison's not expecting it to throw him off. And that effort and that running and that shoulder barge is why he gets himself an open net goal. Um, And I just think that's Martinelli all over. This was a day where he could just run and run and run and and show his boundless energy and his, his how, what makes him a unique player. And, and too often this season, he hasn't had a chance to do that. You know, we want him to beat two men off the dribble against a low block and that's just probably not who he's ever going to be. But on this day, we got to see the things that make him special. I That goal is something that this team deserves. And what I mean by deserves is when you play this well, this much in so many games, and just time and time and time again, the nearly moments go for the other team instead of for you. Nobody, it gets tedious. It gets tiring coming on this pod or going into a pub or talking to any of your friends and trying to say, no, 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 we played really well. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear that we played really well when all the big moments keep going for the other team. And eventually people are going to say, well, if you're playing so well, why aren't you winning? Well, this big moment went for us. And I think Martinelli did just enough uh, sort of clever, hard work and clever work to, to make the moment go for him. And I couldn't be happier for him and for us that a moment like this turns the game for us when so often this season it's been the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've heard what Klopp has said about Martinelli himself over the years. And um, look, I'm not trying to sell him, don't get me wrong, but you could see him in that Liverpool front line, couldn't you? You could see him in a Klopp front line because there's like there's a level of chaos there that they embrace. And this game had a bit more chaos in it, and that goal had chaos in it. And there are a couple of things he was smart enough to do. First of all, like I said, the conditions, that long ball was holding up at that end of the pitch. And he was smart enough to, you know... Because when that ball is first played, in ordinary conditions, that just goes to Allison, and you don't even run after it. But I think the game had been going on long enough for Martinelli to say, at this end of the pitch, the wind is holding the ball up. And the other thing that happens for him to earn that little bit of luck, like you said, you know, the little barge on Van Dyke. Do you remember like all those... Um, that, that stat that's always peddled out about how no one ever beats Van Dyke on the dribble, no one ever dribbles past him because no one ever tries to dribble past him. <laughs> yep. um, but people don't try to dribble past him for a very good reason. I'm not, that that's down to him. But, you know, that's that's a guy that's just like, no, I'm going to target, I'll take you on physically. Like, I'll give you a little nudge there. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about doing that. And look, listen, of course there's a massive element of luck to the goal. If, if you want to tell me it's lucky, fine. But then you've got to switch it the other way as well. If that goal is lucky, what the, Hell is Liverpool's equaliser. You you can't have it both ways. You cannot say, oh, Arsenal were lucky to go back in front. Fine. We were unlucky for the game to be level in the first place. So, you know, the, the conditions, I think, played into both goals. A little bit of chaos in there. Martinelli very much um, an agent of chaos, as a, a popular film character once said in a popular film. 
and and like we reap the rewards but i'm i'm with you i think i think it was deserved over the whole 90 minutes and if you want to just look at that incident you've got to look at the other one that led to the equalizer as well and it was it was an you know an equalizing of the fortune basically exactly. and it just yeah. meant that arsenal were a goal up again which is where the, exactly where they should have been at half time exactly well said um yeah really really happy for that moment to go that way <clears throat> and i can i can think of too many games to name this season where i want to say luck more than anything decided an outcome now i, I want to be clear <laughs> You shouldn't leave it to luck, right? You should you should take your chances. You should you should take it out of the hands of luck. But we know football doesn't always work that way. Um, Clive, the really quickly before we we move on to substitutions and the end game and what this all means, I just want to row back to to Jorginho for a minute. You know, I'd been talking on this podcast a couple episodes ago about I think he needs to play more. I think I think I gave him a stock rising for a substitute performance a couple of games ago. Who did we play before? Alice. Palace, yes. Game of stock rising for that game. Um, and really wax poetic about what he adds for us. And I just don't think he's adequately appreciated. And I get it. He came over from Chelsea, so that's bad for starters. And he's late in his career, so there's a perception about what he has left. And obviously, he started the season in the worst possible way with the error he made in the Derby. So that got his season off on the wrong foot. But overall, since he's been here, he's been an excellent addition. And I looked at it. Martinelli, he received more passes from Jorginho than anyone else, seven, right? The ability to hit that that quick diagonal to Martinelli to send him in, I think was crucial to our game plan. For a player who has such limited mobility, he still has the ability to always be in the right position because he reads and understands the game so well. And I don't think he could do it without Rice, though. Clive, I don't know if you can celebrate Jorginho's performance without celebrating Rice. I think it is the way the two of them... You sometimes say on the piston, I think is something you like to talk about. The way they they understand who who goes, who stays, who recovers, who progresses. It's a really natural partnership. It's like they've been playing together their whole life. Um, I just thought it it was it was a it wasn't a singularly excellent performance for Jor, for Jorginho. I thought it was a, a dynamic duo, so to speak. Yeah, they were a dynamic duo. For me, it was the best time I've ever seen him play. You know, I didn't watch the Newcastle game, you know, similar type game maybe. I didn't see that live, so I didn't see the emotion <clears throat> of how he played in that game when I watched it post. I thought, yeah, he's all right. But this one, there was no doubt. There was no doubt his performance. Um, there was spontaneous singing of his name in the first half out of nowhere. Yep. Right? And so, it, you know, it, it basically, spontaneously, people realized what he was doing. You know, and... um that a penny was just like dropping and his impact on rice was significant to me you know and not every game is a is a six plus two eights you know and, and that's it and when it and i don't think i think georgina played in a double pivot and, and that's it you know part of our base two and he helped primarily on the left hand side of the base two to help out on that to progress it on that side and and it worked beautifully and I, you know, I when I whenever I think of my Arsenal teams in my head and we're picking teams for the game, I don't always pick Jorginho. I don't ever really slate him, but I don't put him on a pedestal. And that's why I said in the IR, I've got an apology to make because he 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 surprised me massively. You know, mm-hmm. um, so, and I think he's more critical than maybe I, I realize. And I, 
when I'm sitting there watching this game and I'm absolutely racked with nerves, I'm looking down on the pitch and you find out who can handle it, Elliot. I promise you, you find out who's got it. The, people say, oh, the manager doesn't trust the this player, doesn't trust the player. The manager knows who can cut it at this level. And this level is not Palace at home. So I didn't pick him up for chipping a ball over James Tompkins. I didn't. But if he's chipping a ball over this defence, slipping in high vertically next to Canate, and Canate's right there and he can't see it coming, then that's a different level of football. And he has played at the very, very highest level with all the medals in his back pocket. You have to be able to appreciate what he's giving to this group. Like I said earlier, it's not every three days. Let's not pretend it's not going to happen. He's, he's a little bit older. He can't do that all the time. But the manager spoke about him and he said, when he comes on for one minute, he's great. He goes out and does 98 minutes. I'm thinking, no way you're going to last this game. And then he's forming up. Mate, we need you for the last 15 minutes. But then he finds another gear. And how does he do that? That's, it. That's absolutely incredible. Brilliant performance. Yeah. Yeah, just man of the match. But again, it's easier to do that when you have a guy who covers the ground of two guys next to you. And I, and I think that that is the that is the key. I mean, once upon a time, Jorginho was a Ballon d'Or candidate. You know, he was going to win the Ballon d'Or. Who did he have supporting him? N'Golo Conte. Right? What can N'Golo Conte do? He can cover the ground of two people. And Declan Rice can do that as well. And that affords you the opportunity to play someone like Jorginho. It is a, a luxury. Um, interesting, Tim, because Darwin Nunez, Andy Robertson, Tiago Alcantara, not a bad group of, of subs to be able to bring on, huh? But our, our subs were the story. Yep. Kivior comes on at halftime, doesn't put a foot wrong. Trissard comes on. Reese Nelson comes on. And I think this is a 10 out of 10 Mikel Arteta game. He not only gets the starting lineup right, how many times have we seen him leave a dead Bukayo Saka on the pitch? Yep. Can't do it today. Can't do it against Liverpool. Got to have the running power. So he trusts Reese, And everybody wanted Martinelli to stay on. Take Kai off, right? No, I need the battling guy who can be an out ball for us. I'm going to get someone else on the left because, again, Martinelli's running power fades at a certain point. And he just goes and gets everything right. And what does Troussard do to reward him? He rewards him with a little nutmeg on the touchline, or I don't know if it's a nutmeg, or just gets around and bursts away and finds the five hole. And admittedly, there's a tiny, tiny little deflection from Van Dyke that puts it five hole. At first, I thought it was just a ridiculous Allison error. If you watch it back, there is a very slight Van Dyke toe that steers it back between Allison's legs. And it's and it's celebration time. And so, first of all, I think it's it's the perfect thing because you get the great Martinelli performance. He's disconsolate coming off, but the guy who comes off for him wins us, you know, makes the game safe. So so there's no drama, right? It's not, oh, you know, you took Martinelli off and it didn't really go your way. Everything worked for Mikel on this day. I thought Troussard had a great cameo, obviously. What do you think about our subs actually being the story instead of their subs when I think looking at the bench beforehand, you would not have picked that and Mikel having a 10 out of 10 day in terms of his, his tactics, his lineup, and then ultimately the, getting the substitution spot on. Yeah, absolutely. I, very quickly going to add on Jorginho, two mm, things. Please. First of all, we lost Xhaka and Partey um, over the summer. I think yeah. we can say we've lost Partey. Um, two of the adults in the team. So having like a 30-year-old central midfielder in a game like this really helped. Also, I think the kind of, as fans, when we see a player that isn't rapid, we kind of think, oh, they're not fast, so they're shit. 
and um, and that's like pace is just one attribute. And to some extent, all of the players in the team have a guy near them or next to them that makes up for their weaknesses. To some mm. extent, that happens everywhere. Um, so I don't, I don't think we like Rice and Jorginho. Yeah, great partnership, but but Jorginho is just as beneficial for Rice as vice versa because Rice can't play the passes Jorginho can yet. On the substitutions. Absolutely. This is one of the things that pleased me the most. The fact that Saka did come off, you know, and we put Nelson on. And Nelson played quite well in the cup game as well. So maybe that got hit. Maybe that made Arteta think, yeah, I can put him on for the last 15 minutes. Got running power and we need that. And, uh, you know, Inketia doesn't come on. And, uh, and I don't think that's like a disgrace to Inketia. It's just, it's not an Inketia game. It's Havertz game, Nelson. We need running power. We need chaos. And, uh, and, and yeah, as well, bringing Trossard on. I think maybe Trossard's cameo at Forest gets him this as well because he comes on. We go 2 1 down. Everyone starts panicking, but not him. Uh, and actually, maybe the goal was a nice surprise in that respect because I felt like, yeah, when he came on at Forest, he was the only one who played with a cool head. And again, that's a 30-year-old player. We don't have a lot of those. So, uh, But I, I think your point about Nelson on for Saka is spot on because I think a month, two months, three months ago, we leave Saka on until he comes off on a stretcher. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that the, the fact that we didn't do that, I think, was massive. Um, Clive, you want to weigh in on that, on the, on the subs that he picked and their performance? And I think the trust in the squad because it, it wasn't, that was not the strength of the bench that we'd like to see in a big game, let alone yeah. the starting the starting eleven. And yeah. we used that bench, and we used it to win the game. Yeah, I, 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 I sort, of, yeah, I don't, I don't worry about those sort of things really. I, I, I don't fret. In the in the era of five substitutes, I don't fret so much about the team that's on the pitch. The team on the pitch just hopefully tells me how we're going to play in the first phase of the game. You know, and that and that's how I look at it. I will say. There was a couple of moments in this game. I, preparing for this game in my own head because I was nervous about this game. I rewatched the cup game again. Just remind myself a little pull like. And Reese Nelson did a Martinelli in that game. You know, he ran off the sides and became like a second striker on occasions and he roamed. And I thought, Martinelli, if Martinelli does that, we could have been in better shape because he's just a bit better at the last thing. You know, and and so and so it turned. That run that Nelson made from the Ramsdale kick out was a very similar to run what Martinelli made for the, for his goal. Out to in, in behind the centre backs. Let's see what you got. And so the, the the tactical changes that Nelson showed me in that day, we've continued them. And I'm glad that Arteta worked out I need to block that side with somebody that can handle it on and off the ball. And Nelson is the choice. You know, and again, the Nottingham Forest game, a bit more of a possession game. We're going to have about a million touches. Smith Rowe suits a high touch game, you know, where we get the ball, nice secure possession, running around, running off shoulders. So, use of resources, you know, my big thing earlier, use them properly. And that's what he did. You don't, everyone think, oh, Smith Rowe didn't start. This was never a Smith Rowe game. No one's moaning about it. You can just see the intensity level of it on off the ball. It's an athletic game. A game for athletes is a bit more of a track meet, you know? And so we had those players on the pitch and we used our best sprinter in Martinelli and we got him out before he twang something and then got somebody else on with some fresh legs. So yeah, really pleased how he managed the game and I'm really pleased with the system that he played by and I'm really pleased that maybe for Arsenal people today 
have got a clearer view of the level of the team they support that maybe it had been made murky by too much time to think and too much crap narratives out there about us. Hopefully the windows are clean and we can see again and get back to doing what we are really good at, which we showed in the stadium yesterday, which is supporting the team. Yeah, I mean, you know what really strikes me, Tim? There was no furious Liverpool charge. There was no, I mean, even in the, that first 10 minutes after halftime, it's, we were under the cosh a bit. But, I mean, this is Liverpool, right? They are, they are the fearsome attack in the league. They produced 0.4 expected goals. In the period after we took the lead 2-1, they had three shots off target, speculative shots, worth 0.07 expected goals. There was no late charge. And I think as frustrated as people are about our attack this season, and I get it, I mean, the irony is we got three goals in this game, right? Three. We still underperformed our expected goals. We had three and a half expected goals. Um, And it's frustrating, and we're going to need to finish if we want to win the title. But I think to, the level of frustration at our attack not firing has absolutely not been matched by what should be a staggering respect for our defensive performance. We have allowed 17 expected goals this season. 22 goals overall, but 17 expected. It's staggering to hold Liverpool to 0.4, to control a game to this degree, to dominate it, as Mikel would prefer, I say. Um, and, and I guess if I'm going to say that, then maybe a little credit to Big Gabby. Um, you know, a, a guy who, much like Kanate to some extent, right, is the, is the Robin of the Batman that is Saliba, but Saliba made his mistake today. He still didn't put a foot wrong after that. But I thought Gabby was distributing well. I, I mentioned that Jorginho hit Martinelli the most times seven. To be fair to Gabby, he matched him with seven to Martinelli. His long distribution was good. He... His no-nonsense defensive intensity matches that sort of very cool, composed approach that Saliba takes. Um, I, I just I think that duo, much like the Jorginho and Rice duo, is a big part of the game as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I like I think from Liverpool's perspective, maybe because of Salah being out and Nunez not being fit, they started with two guys in Gakpo and Jota that they tend to like to bring on. Um, and maybe I see like a slight comparison with Trossard there, who mm. broadly speaking, I think is quite a good, can be a better sub than a starter. And, and Ketty is a better starter than a sub. And, you know, sometimes you get those dynamics in attack and maybe those are a bit out of whack for Liverpool. But Gabriel, yeah, I mean, Gabriel is just one of the best defenders in the Premier League as well. And I, I think one of the reasons, weirdly, he might go a bit underappreciated. I think this happens with defenders and defensive midfielders that you don't know what you've got till you lose them to injury. And then everyone goes, oh my God, this player is so important. Like I think that happened to Koscielny. I think that, happened, that that's happened to quite a lot of Arsenal defenders over the years who everyone's like, yeah, they're quite good. I think they're quite good. And then you lose them for a month or two and everyone goes, oh my God, Look, look at what we look like without them. But to this point, we just haven't lost Gabriel. He's just, he's been fit the whole time and touch wood, it stays that way. And, you know, maybe like we haven't really ever seen Saliba without Gabriel either. Like I can't really think of a Premier League, many Premier League games where that's happened. I think maybe Sheffield United, we start at home, we started Kivior, but like, you know, maybe we don't have a proper sense of how good Saliba is yet until, you know, maybe 
I hope it doesn't, but maybe what happens last season happens in reverse and we lose Gabriel in March and Saliba's kind of there on his own and everyone goes, oh my God, like without with, with Gabriel, we could have won the league. He's just, the, the other thing as well, he's come on like with his distribution a lot. I think that was a slight doubt about him when when he first joined. But when you look at like the move for the first goal where those, those like that kind of um, diamond, like, not quite a triangle, like that diamond one-touch passing, and he's part of that, that lovely stab pass to Zinchenko out on the left. Like he's really, really improved in that respect. And he's just, he's such a good defender. And it's not just the blood and thunder stuff. He is the fire in the fire ice partnership between him and Saliba, but it's not just fire. Like you don't get by at this level on just that. Like I think he's got that coolness of head um, as well. He's really developed that over time. Great at reading the game. I just think he's a he's a brilliant all round defender, and I think um, I, th- I think Arsenal fans do realise that, but certainly widely, I don't think it's that appreciated. And but. You know, the law of averages says at some point we are going to lose him for a month or two. And I think that's when he'll really get his flowers more widely. Yeah, I mean, if if we've learned anything from this season, it's that the player who's out injured is the best player in the world. By the way, I mean, you, you think about how good we are this season and the reticence to give us credit for it, because I realize it's points on the board that matter. Last season, at the end of the season, we finished with a plus 29.9 expected goals. Okay, 29.9 expected goals. Not bad, pretty good. We are at plus 26.7 already. We're going to obliterate our expected goal, uh, expected goal difference. Sorry, I should have said expected goal difference. We're going to obliterate it this season. Like even if we don't play great down the stretch, we're going to obliterate it. So, you know, there's something about how we're playing at a minimum that we should take a pause to appreciate has gone up a level. Even if that's not always been the the impression of the season. Clive, I want to start to turn to big picture a little bit though, but when that Trossard goal goes in, can I just ask you, I mean, he, he makes that beautiful touch around the corner. He gets in, he slides it between Allison's legs and now, you know, it's going to be a win. I, I can't quite describe it because it's joy mixed with relief, knowing that we weren't going to have to go through the tension of a, a last moment where, you know, we were under under attack, under siege, potentially, you know, chucking it away. What was the relief like for you in that moment? Did you did you have a look at Mikel running the touchline? Did you get a chance to see all the reactions? I was too busy uh, um, jumping up and down like a, like a 13-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. it literally jumping up and down because the Jesus' third goal against Manchester United after we'd rise the score, that was a the previous high point for me anyway and um, mm-hmm. when JC scored you were still buzzing from the from the rice goal so it's just like that was just like ec- ecstasy you know um, mm-hmm. the Martinelli goal against City was like a surprise brilliant day although we were dominant you know, we were we were knocking on the door shall we say um, but in this game this felt more like an exclamation point because with no doubt we were winning the game and um, so yeah I, I think I just really enjoyed the, the word chaos has come up today, but I think this has started since Liverpool game and then into the Palace game. I think we're playing forward a little bit more early and we'll be a little bit more direct. And I would almost say we're in, the, the phrase I use is we're embracing the imperfections of the game. Sometimes you just got to put the ball in behind or put the ball in there. If you look at the Forest game, Saka had two shots 
from rubbish crosses from Zinchenko that they didn't deal with, and he gets a rebound and nearly scores two goals. Sometimes you just got to to work the other team over. You can only do that when you're playing forward. And we're working these teams over. And again, Elliot, I've learned from you. If you keep putting yourself in those areas, things will fall your way. The variance will come back to you. It's, this period of podcasting has been probably the most difficult period I've had since we, since the Bamiyang headed it into our net against Burley in the home game when they beat us and they have a shot on target. That was a low period in our in our recent Arsenal life. And then... This has been quite a low period because I felt we're not seeing things and we're finding things negative. And football isn't about finding the negatives for me, you know. And it's like it's, it's about finding solutions and how we can go forward with a with a bit more holistic view. It's been quite challenging looking around and seeing people get themselves into a place. It's probably protecting their emotions in case it goes wrong. If you find something wrong now, if it goes wrong, it's okay because I because I saw it and I felt it. We, we've got to go the other way and say, actually, we believe in this team. Liverpool rocked up. We've no Nunes. We've no Slobosay. We've no Salah. We've Robertson on the bench not fit. We Trent just came back not quite fit. And you never heard a negative word about it. They were positive, coming to Arsenal to take our, to knock us out of title race. You know, we got to be positive about what we have. Because we've done three games and they've not dominated us in the three games. They have not dominated us in the three games. We need to think differently about our own team and how we are stopping waves of attack against us and creating waves of attack against your position. Our off-the-ball play has improved to a to a point where I think this team can go anywhere. And the only thing that worries me is health and fitness. It's the mm-hmm. only thing that worries me. And the rest, if we're not good enough, we'll find out. We will find out and we have time and hopefully revenue to improve those areas. Whatever happened from the Liverpool game, we were going to find out about us. And I think we did. It's, and it's a good it's a good discovery. But we were going to find out something by hook or by crook. So these are the games I live for, the big ones, because you, you learn the most. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we we can take so much from this because it's not just that we won it. It's that I think we found some players, we found some options, we found some solutions that we know we can use in big games. I mean, let's not forget, Champions League is coming back. And it wouldn't surprise me if the lineup we picked for this game is a lineup that we want to use in that competition. That would not surprise me. Now, that's a little dismissive of Gabriel Jesus, who, by the way, is a Champions League monster killer. So I think he will play when fit. But it's an interesting one. And, and look, it almost feels ridiculous to say Thomas Party will come back. He might, he might not. But I think we were all pretty annoyed by the news of his setback. I think Jorginho's eased a lot of that annoyance, certainly with his performance. Tim, big picture now a little bit. I saw some reactions. At full, I mean, there were a lot of dumb reactions after the game, obviously, as we've covered. But one of them was, you know, all this is is a win for City. And I, I kind of think that suits us. I think the dismissal, the dismissiveness of a team that, in my mind, has played the best football this season. I mean, if you just look at it and expected goal difference, if you care about that stuff, we are best. We are top. I know there are things we need to do better. But I, I we tried it last season being the front runners and getting stalked down by City. I don't mind being the one that everyone kind of has as the outsider, trying to do it a little bit of a different way. I think maybe that suits where we are in our development. What about you? What do you what do you think of the fact that in the wake of this, it wasn't like, 
Arsenal are now a big title challenger. It was like City now have the, the pole position, which let's be honest, it's probably true. Yeah, but I think I prefer this position for us. Yeah, definitely. Like if City win all their games, they win the league. Um, that's the position they're in. And yep. yeah, I listened to some like general football podcasts this morning, and and it was very much City are the big winners of the weekend. And and I get that, and that 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 is going to happen until until we do it. You know, like Liverpool have done it, Man City have done it. We haven't done it yet, so that that's always going to kind of colour people's perceptions of things, and I kind of think that's fair enough as well. But I'm with you. I know, um, I know. Paul said this on the instant reaction as well with that uh, the kind of Tour de France analogy that that perhaps we're we're better just slightly off the pack rather than getting to March and April and being like, oh my god, what is this? And I keep coming <laughs> back to that that Lee Dixon line on this podcast: they don't know what's coming. Um, you know, may, may, maybe it might be better if like Liverpool are in the later rounds of the Europa League and they've got all the talks going to be like the Klopp talk is like it obviously like reach a big crescendo when it was all announced. It's going to die down a bit. It's going to come up again um, from April onwards. Maybe that will suit them. Maybe it won't. Um, but may, they, they, I think, unless they almost voluntarily throw it away are going to be in the Europa League latter stages. Um, I think they're big favourites for that competition. I'm fine with that. We're not catching Liverpool's European record in my lifetime, my grandchildren's lifetime or whatever. So they can have another one as far as I'm concerned. That's go and help yourselves to the Europa League, lads. You, you, you've earned it. That would be a great send off for Klopp. Um, so, but but yeah, I, I I think I think that could suit us, and and hopefully we might come into a position of getting people back rather than losing people, because that's another thing that happened last season. We lost people, but this time it feels like we lost people maybe a bit earlier in the season, and you know, like individually, maybe not all massive players, but we talked about finding players in the last week or so, you know. Smith Rowe started. He didn't come into this game, but Smith Rowe started the last game. Um, and, and I think what we're finding this season is there are games for some players that aren't for others. Jorginho's man of the match, I think, in this game. I, I still think we were right not to starting him and start him at Nottingham Forest. That mm. that wasn't a Jorginho game. I think we can see now that. Um, the plan was for the fullback situation to look like that as well. So Tommy Asu coming back, hopefully he can stay fit. But I think we can see that maybe Tommy Asu, Timber, White and Zinchenko were meant to be a quartet, whereas we've kind of had to flog White and Zinchenko a bit. We can like get Fabio Vieira back and get him some minutes. This wasn't an Inketia-Smith-Rowe game. They didn't come on. That's not to say the next one won't be. Um, maybe at West Ham there will be a use for those players. So... You know, we are we are finding things and we're finding things out that that I think we didn't have last season. I think last season we had about twelve players and then we got Jorginho and Trossard and we had fourteen, but that was kind of it. Whereas I feel like we're we're getting much more towards the sixteen, seventeen, and maybe if we can get you know, Smith Rowe, Vieira, Tommy Asu back into back into things, we can get more towards that twenty mark and Listen, as, as far as I'm concerned, we've got two competitions to go for as well. So we need all those players. So let's hope them coming back helps us find even more players in the coming weeks. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, don't look now, but Outsiders Arsenal, Choker's Arsenal, 
have four points from Liverpool and three points from City so far. You know, um, we still go to the Etihad, obviously. And so do Liverpool, I believe. Or does City go to Anfield? I think I think Liverpool go to the Etihad. I think so. Um, yeah. So there's a long way to go and a lot for this to be decided. But I think the other thing that I got to say, guys, the relief here for me is I think this re- reassures me that what we are in is a title challenge and not a top four battle. Because obviously, had we lost this game, then all of a sudden the attention would turn to, oh, Arsenal or this far. You know, like, we need to graduate from that and be the perennial title challengers. And I think this game confirms we belong in that group with City and Liverpool and not that other group of teams doing whatever the hell they're trying to do, um, which feels really good. I, it, it's a game where I think Everybody gets to come away feeling good. The manager was brilliant. The subs were fantastic. The players who started stepped up. You know, it, it is, it's just a feel-good moment. And as long as you don't celebrate it, I think you can feel really good about that. We're going to do a, a rewatch tomorrow. We will do, I think, maybe a three big, big questions episode this week because I have some stuff on my mind. We have some announcements to make. So uh, join us over on Patreon if you want, but, but, but don't if you don't want because <laughs> we're still going to be here. Uh, there's just going to be lots of stuff going on at all times and all places. It's a week to soak it up, though. We don't play again till next weekend against West Ham, and we owe them one. West Ham away, a fixture that very relevant to last season's title chase. West Ham at home, obviously very relevant to this season's. That's a team we owe. I do not believe they've won a football match in 2024 so far. So <laughs> that's usually the worst thing for us. But uh, I feel pretty good coming off this that we are going to play well. And we'll see what happens. We'll have a lot of, uh, to talk about before then. I think we can leave it there. Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Thanks, Clive. We have to beat West Ham. Otherwise, yes, yes. the celebration pictures will be coming out. We have to beat them. Yep. Massive. And and I, I guess I, I didn't ask you this, Clive, but... While I agree he's a pretty good facilitator, a reasonable right eight, and a decent captain, do you think maybe we replace Odegaard at eight and replace Stuart McFarlane with Odegaard? Um, do you think that's... It, that's you, you, do your, you do you, son. You do your humor. I, do. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, he, he took his camera. He took his job. I mean, you know, he's, he's willing to take on all the roles. He'll be a deep-lying playmaker. He'll be a number eight. He'll be a striker, and he'll be a photographer. Uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stominator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. And, you know, look, to flip the narrative on that moment, I think it's wonderful that the players have such a close connection with someone who's worked at the club for over 30 years and obviously, you know, involving people, not just the guy who sticks the ball in the net or even the guys that get on the pitch. I think that's uh, that's wonderful and speaks to a great spirit of the club. And if you're going to talk about that moment at all, I I think that's kind of the angle to take on it. Yep. Well well said. Um, Okay. Good job, everybody. Well done. We got through this together. We we did over 90 minutes, and at no point in time do I think we celebrated too lustily or inappropriately. So let me just say this. Get in! Get in! It's back on! There you go. Now now the pundits can accuse me of it. Vamos. We love you. <laughs> we love you. And we will talk to you. Uh, when will we talk to you? West Ham, right? That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's this one one small problem. Um, my mouse has died. All right, now we can do this. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham now.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.